scriptures to the book of Galatians. Paul was telling about the situation when he went back to Jerusalem to pretty much report what God had been doing through his ministry to the saints there at Jerusalem. And I think he was a little concerned as to how he would be received. But he says this in chapter 2, verse 9. He says that James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they were accepted by the, the leadership there in Jerusalem. But then he adds this. They only ask... They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. And that's what I'd like to speak to you on this morning. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. The Bible has literally hundreds of verses dealing with the subject of social justice and how we should view the poor the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the handicapped. So I'm on solid ground here. I've got far more scriptures than what we could deal with this morning on this subject. Now, there's a characteristic that unites these various people, the poor, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and that is that they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable people they could easily be taken advantage of. And because that was the situation, and because God is a compassionate and merciful God, he did not want those people to be taken advantage of. And he did not want his, his people to have any kind of attitude towards those people that would be derogatory, demeaning, or hurtful. Rather, God's people were to be concerned with the well-being of the vulnerable of this earth. Now, I'd like to just consider with you briefly here some Old Testament verses. Psalm 82, 1 through 4. You don't need to look these up. I'll just, just read them to you here. God takes his stand in his own congregation. Here he is amongst... His people. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And here, that's, he's, he's, that's a condemnation of what was going on. But here's what God's people should be doing. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Psalm 140.12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Proverbs 29.7, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. Proverbs 31.8, open your mouth for the dumb For the rights of all the unfortunate, open your mouth, judge righteously, 
and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Isaiah 58.10 And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like noonday, midday. Give yourself to the hungry. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Isaiah 58:66. Is this not the fast that I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? God says, this is the type of fast that I really am looking for, not your outward external religious ceremonies, but actually showing compassion to the needy. Jeremiah 22.3, do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also, do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood. Jeremiah 22.16, Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. Is that not what it means to know me? That's quite a verse, isn't it? What's it mean to know God? Well, one of the things it means is that you do justice and righteousness and you plead the cause of the afflicted and the needy. And here's a very amazing verse in Ezekiel 16:49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. What do we think of when we think of think of when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, we think of homosexuality and the great sin there. But the, Ezekiel brings something else out. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. I don't know that the chronology there, maybe this is what led to some of the grosser sins just not helping the poor and the needy, not having that attitude. Instead of that, having an attitude of arrogance and pride and careless ease. Well, that's just a few of the hundreds of verses on this subject in the the Bible. God's very concerned about the welfare of the vulnerable people of this world. There is a false spirituality that maintains that what happens to man's body and his material well-being is inconsequential. Only the soul matters. But that's not the Bible. God has created a physical universe and he's created us with bodies and he's going to redeem the body. So this physical realm and material things matter to God. He is concerned about our shelter 
and our food and our clothing. In fact, Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that you need all these things. So we don't need to worry about them because he knows that we need them. But that doesn't mean that they're unimportant. We must keep our view of material things in a biblical balance. We need these things. People need these things in this present age. James speaks also of this false spirituality that can say to a brother or sister who is without clothing and in need of food, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. There's a phrase, necessary for their body. These things are necessary. He says, what use is that? So what I'd like to do here is to consider what the Bible has to say concerning our attitude and actions related to the well-being of the poor. That term actually is used in many different ways in the Bible when we talk about the poor. First of all, we should realize that the term poor is sometimes used figuratively in the scriptures. There it refers to those who are poor in spirit, those who sense something of the bankruptcy of their lives in the spiritual realm. Now that's a very important biblical usage, but actually, by far, the primary usage of the word poor in the Bible refers to those who are poor in material things. Sometimes the poor in spirit and the poor in material in the material realm overlap, but not always. We should never get the idea that if someone is rich, they must be unrighteous, or if someone is poor, that makes them righteous. On the other hand, being poor does not mean you are somehow unrighteous, nor does it nor does being rich show that you're somehow blessed by God. The fact is, rich people need to see their spiritual poverty, and poor people need to see their spiritual poverty, and middle-income people need to see their spiritual poverty, and any other socioeconomic group needs to see their spiritual poverty. The reason Christ says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven is not because there's something intrinsically evil about riches, but because the rich person often finds their security in their riches, and this blinds them to their spiritual poverty. There's often a tendency amongst the rich towards pride and self-sufficiency, and uh, this keeps them from humbling themselves before God. So the point I want to emphasize just as a overall thought here is that we must be careful not to be too simplistic 
in our understanding of poorness. All poverty is not the same. In fact, the Bible distinguishes at least four groups who are materially poor. That's what we're talking about here, that type of poverty. Four groups that are materially poor. And I want to credit R.C. Sproul with these categories here. The first group is those who are poor as a result of laziness and irresponsibility. The Bible says a lot about poorness that results from slothfulness and laziness. For instance, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, O sluggard, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I think that means a little too much of that. And your poverty will come upon you like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Why is the poverty? Because of slothfulness, because of laziness. So there's a type of poverty that comes as a consequence of a sinful lifestyle. And that may not just be laziness. Perhaps it's some other form of sinful living. Like, for instance, the prodigal son who wasted his inheritance on riotous living and found himself eating with the pigs. Well, he had poverty, but he was responsible for it. His sin got him there. So that's the first group, those who are poor because of laziness or irresponsibility. Poor because of their sin, they need to repent. They need to see that God puts a high premium on diligent labor. They need to work to provide for themselves and have something to give to others. They need to understand that even before the fall, God put Adam in the garden to cultivate it and keep it, and that there is dignity in a good job well done. If we're able to work, we should provide for ourselves and our family. In fact, this is amazing to me, in fact, if we're professing Christians and do not provide for our own, the Bible says that we have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an infidel. Paul says, you know, if a man won't work, don't let him eat. So that's the first category. Poorness, poverty, through irresponsibility, sin, and laziness. The next group of poor people that the Bible recognizes are those who are poor because of calamity or bodily injury. They're poor through no fault of their own. They would work if they could work. And in this category, you could put people who have suffered some type of natural disaster. For instance, a a farmer whose crops are wiped out by hail one year and drought the next year. He's out of money. He's poor. Well, he couldn't help that. Or... If he was a farmer again, he's out on his tractor and struck by lightning. Can't work for a couple years. I actually know a farmer that was struck twice. 
And into this same category, you would put uh, the orphan, the older widow lady, the handicapped. Their poverty was not caused by any sin they need to repent of. God's very concerned for these people, and God's people should be concerned for them also. It says this in Deuteronomy 15:11. For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in the land. There's going to be those type of people there in the land. And he says, open your hand to them. James tells us this, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Very important part of Christianity. In fact, he says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this, helping out those vulnerable people. So that's the second group. Those who are poor because of some calamity, bodily injury, old age, orphan, widow, handicapped. The third group then that the Bible recognizes is those who are poor because of unjust practices and unfair exploitation at the hands of those in power over them. Poor because of exploitation. This could be those who are poor because of being in an unjust government or poor because of unjust employers or some type of unjust ruling class. These poor are victims of greed, the greed of those who are in authority over them. Again, the Bible has a lot to say about this category, about this type of situation. Because God is just, he takes this type of exploitation very seriously. And his prophets were often commanded to speak out against this type of evil, exploiting the vulnerable. Let's just look at some examples. Let's turn to Isaiah. Chapter 3. And we'll start in at verse 13 here and read a couple verses. The Lord arises to contend and stand to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard and plunder. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. They're being made rich off the plunder of the poor. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor? Isn't that an image? Grinding the face of the poor. 
declares the Lord of hosts. Uh, chapter 10. Verses 1 through 3. Woe to those who enact evil statutes, to those who constantly re- record unjust decisions, so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights, in, or- in order that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. Um, so the widow and the orphan being taken advantage of, the poor of the people. Let's turn to the book of Amos. It's a little book, oh, like two or three books after Daniel. Amos. Chapter 4. Remember what we're talking about here, this category of poorness that comes about because of exploitation by those in power and authority. Amos chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. But just the the idea of oppressing the poor and crushing the needy, being made fat through their exploitation. Chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stones, yet you will not live in them. You have planted a vineyard, yet you will not drink of their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes, and turn aside the poor in the gate. The gate was a place where judgment would uh, be like our court uh, today. And you, so we, the court system is corrupt. You turn aside the poor at the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Uh, well, we could go on there, but let's... Let's turn on to chapter 8. This is an amazing section here. Amos chapter 8. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. And he said, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come for my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. I think the idea of this fruit here is that it's ripe. Ju- you're ripe for judgment, in other words. It's time. Judgment's coming. Uh, I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will be turned to wailing in that day. So your singing is going to be wailing, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses in every place 
They will cast them forth in silence. So a picture of judgment coming upon the people. Why is, why is there going to be this terrible judgment? Well, verse 4, Hear this, you who trample the needy to do away with the humble in the land, saying, When will the new moon be over? When so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market. What's, that, what's he saying? He's saying, here's, here's leaders, here's employers that really don't care anything about the Sabbath. They just want the Sabbath to be over so they can get these people to work more. They don't care about worshiping God. They don't care about rest for the laborer. Just get that Sabbath over with so we can get these people back to work. To make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, things make things cost more and you get less. And to cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. What's he saying? I think he's talking about people being brought into slavery because they can't pay. They don't have the money. Verse 7, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. I'm not going to forget this kind of stuff, he says. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Well, it goes on to describe how terrible it's going to be. But it's because of the injustice, because of the exploitation of the poor that, that God is bringing this judgment upon his people. And uh, Malachi, just a couple quick ones here to close with. Malachi 3.5 Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely. So you got sorcerers and adulterers and liars. But look at this, right in with that. And against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages. Just not paying people what you should. Exploitation. Who oppress the wage earner in his wages the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me. It's a sign of not fearing God to do those things. And so God says there's going to be judgment because of this. And then one from the New Testament, the book of James. Chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Well, now, this is, is this just a general con condemnation to those who are rich? Not really. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure." 
Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your field and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. He's talking about unjust people getting rich through injustice and exploitation. The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So a, a, a terrible condemnation on those who would ex- exploit the laborer. So that's the third group. Poor because of unjust practices and unfair exploitation at the hands of those in power. And the last group that we could examine are those who are poor for righteousness' sake. Now this can be either voluntary or involuntary. By that I mean there are some that have chosen to give much of their surplus away to advance the gospel and to help the needy. That would be voluntary. Poverty that you uh, are experiencing because you've just sacrificed to help others and to advance the gospel. But there is also the involuntary type because of devotion to God and God's truth. People are being ostracized and not allowed to make much money. They've been forced into situations that it's hard to make ends meet. The man might even be in jail because for righteousness sake and the woman and children are suffering in poverty. Their poverty is coming because of an ungodly way of dealing with godly people. Poverty, in other words, because of persecution. So, in this group, we might say it this way, they are poor in terms of material goods, and uh, yet they're rich because of the promises of God for them and to them related to their spiritual inheritance. James says this, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? They're poor because of righteousness' sake, but they're rich. Paul says this in Corinthians related to the bountiful giving. This had to do with the poor, that Paul was collecting a, a uh, money and, and things t- to help those who were poor. He says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may be, you may have an abundance in every good deed. What's he saying? He's saying, you, well, he's saying you can't outgive God. That's one thing he's saying. He's saying if you are suffering some because of unrighteousness, uh, because of of righteousness, if you're suffering because of wanting to to help out others, God's able to make all grace abound to you so that you will always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. And Paul also reminds those Corinthians that all all we're saying here is that uh, we should follow in the steps of what Christ has done for us. Christ himself modeled generous giving. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was rich, became poor, so that we might become rich. And uh, that basic attitude of giving to help others is is uh, essential to the Christian life. So, let me just say this. How do we remember the poor? That's where we started, remember? Remember the poor. Well, I would say our first prior- priority is to present the gospel to the poor. When Jesus quoted the Old Testament concerning his work, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are down, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The poor have the gospel preached to them. That's what, that's the most basic need they have. But that's not the only thing that Christians do toward the poor. We do not have a so-called social gospel, which ends up not being any gospel at all. But the gospel does bring social change. When people are released from the bondage of sin, good things happen in society. Why is that? Well, because when you're released from your bondage of sin, you can start to love your neighbor as yourself. But the priority for the Christian is to present the gospel to whoever, rich, poor, whoever. So that's the first thing. How do we remember the poor? Well, we share the gospel. Second, I would say that God's people, at least certain portions of God's people, should act as a prophetic voice in a culture concerning the welfare of the poor and the the oppressed. 
There needs to be some prophets like Amos that are sharing and speaking out for the downtrodden and the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. So the administration of justice in society should be a great concern for the Church of Jesus Christ, and we do need to be speaking up for the vulnerable of the land. So that's the second thing. And then, and that's kind of on a broader scale, governmental, societal scale. But third, we should realize that we are called to alleviate suffering and oppression right where we see it. It's one thing to speak out against these societal evils, and there is a place for that. But we also need to deal with this on a local, one-to-one level. We are called to alleviate suffering and oppression where we see it. We should be good Samaritans not passing by those in need. That's what the Good Samaritan did. That's why he was good. He didn't just pass by the need that he saw. We should be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. We should beware of every form of greed. And it comes in all kinds of forms. Sometimes they're they're subtle. And it keeps us from doing right and righteousness and justice in relationship to the poor and oppressed if we're not careful about every form of greed. Along that line, I might just mention some uh, unchristlike ways of giving. Talk about being uh, beware of every form of greed. Well, even our giving can have greed involved in it. Uh, If we give only to those who have given things to us or from whom we expect to get something in return, a lot of Jesus' giving was done just out of compassion. Not that he expected to get something back from it. We need to be careful about giving with a frown on our face. I'll give, but I don't really like this. We need to be careful about giving in a way that we're showing others that we're giving, doing our alms before men. We're not see, Jesus said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we need to be careful about giving only out of necessity or duty without love. So, in closing, let me say that this area of remembering the poor and the oppressed should be a matter of prayer. It should be a matter for us to pray about. I know that there is generous giving in our midst. 
but we just need to pray that God would show us more and more what this means as a church and for us as individuals. How would God have us use our resources? How can we best help the poor and needy of the land, the orphan, the widow, the stranger? May God give us hearts of compassion like his heart. He's a helper of the helpless. He cares about the vulnerable. That's the way he wants his people to be too. So, I thought that it would be good in our new schedule where we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night to have a, an area to, to think about, particularly for prayer that week. Last week we aimed at the area of marriage. How about this week, the area of remembering the poor and giving? Just take these two verses and think about them this week before prayer meeting. The verse that we started with in Galatians. Remember the poor. The very thing I also was eager to do, Paul says. When the, when the church there at Jerusalem said, we, just, we want you to remember the poor, Paul says, well, that was the very thing I was eager to do. Is that, is that the kind of attitude we have? Am I eager to remember the poor? And then the verse that we looked at just a, a bit ago, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart. Is this our heart? Is this our heart? God, make us more, have more of this heart reality. Remember the poor. <coughs> Each one of us must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a prayer. God, make me a cheerful giver. That's something to pray about. So, all right. Um, I'll stop there. Well, let's pray. Father, we, take, we, we just pray that you take these things and use them as you see fit. Renew our minds, work in our hearts. Cause us to remember the poor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.